0: Hello and welcome to Conversation in Cleantech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host, Ben Sparks, and across the podcast, I'll be interviewing leaders, innovators, forward thinkers, and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech. From transforming transport systems to accelerating the EV revolution. In this third series, we'll be exploring the pioneering technology and cutting edge of future mobility, all of which is helping to connect us to a cleaner, greener world of tomorrow. In addition to this, we'll be offering you some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose every single day. So Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Happy Happy Friday. So listeners, um, um, we're very lucky to host Michael today. Uh, Michael currently holds two roles. One as chairman of an EV charging company, Epic Charging. Um, those guys and girls focus on EV fleet management and transportation electrification. Michael also holds the position of managing director uh, of advanced mobility at a global consulting firm. Michael has a, a PhD in economics and an MBA from IE Business School with a focus on entrepreneurship. We, we were excited to talk to Michael today as he's a true thought leader uh, in the EV space. Um, he's, a lot of you have probably even seen a lot of his content already, which is truly insightful and a great resource for anyone that's interested in how the, the uh, automotive industry is navigating the, 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 the transition to electrification. Um Michael, is this right? I, I took a quick look beforehand, but you have over 3,200 subscribers. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So, I've been running my YouTube channel uh, since a couple of years now. And uh, obviously, it's not my full-time job. It's uh, something I do in parallel for many good reasons. But yeah, that's uh, what I was able to achieve so far.
0: Yeah, well, and and some of it's really cool content. I, I think when people look at it, you you obviously see the effort that you put in behind the uh, the graphics and everything. So yeah, please uh, please take a look at Michael's uh, uh, YouTube channel and 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 subscribe there as well. Um, so hey, look, I obviously have given a bit of an introduction, but I'm sure our listeners would like to know a bit more about you. Um, I'd love to know a bit more about your background and and some of the career moves you've made.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Ben, and thank you for your kind words about my YouTube channel, and uh, we'll get there um, uh, when, you know, I explain a little bit better my career moves. So as um, uh, you probably realized, I'm, I'm Russian. I was born in, and grew up in Russia and did my kind of baseline education and a PhD back in my home country. But then at some point of time, uh, that was more than 10 years ago, I decided that, that actually I would want an international career. And also, for some political reasons, I didn't really want to stay Uh, in Russia. And what's happening today basically tells me my choices were correct. uh, And so probably it's better to stay away from this type of regimes uh, these days. And uh, you know what? I decided to go for a full-time MBA at IE business school. uh, And this uh, business school is based in Spain. And uh, prior to IE, I had a full-time career in telecom and telecom retail. And I was pretty successful in those roles. And many people were challenging me. Why would you actually, you know, leave that fantastic job in Moscow and move to Spain and take, a, you know, another role? And you know, it was really a big question mark for many people around me. But at that time, actually, uh, that was 2012. Nissan just launched uh, the first, uh, m- m- you know, mass-produced electric vehicle, Nissan Leaf and uh the coincidence at that time was that Nissan I was actually hiring from top business schools uh, around the world including IE business school I looked at that and said okay that's that's going to change the world I really want to be part of it uh, even though like automotive industry was pretty far from me at that stage also for Nissan or any legacy car maker stepping into like new technology, you also need new type of skills. You need new type of people, basically fresh blood. And at that time of uh, you know in 2012, I applied, um, and uh, there were only two people hired from business schools that year, and I was among them. And I was super lucky to join Nissan. I, I really, I mean, I I cannot find better words to explain my wonderful career at Nissan, but because I had a chance to work on all types of EV-related technology across three continents. My first assignment was in France, in Paris. Uh, then I moved to Japan, um, to global headquarters. And with my last and most exciting project at Nissan, our partnership between Nissan and Waymo and autonomous drive technology, I moved to Silicon Valley in 2018. And since then, um, I'm based uh, in San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, basically... EVs has been always my core focus and the different types of technology around EVs from, you know, from car sharing, vehicle to grid, um, you know, second life battery applications, uh, ride hailing projects, uh, and uh, autonomous ride projects. So this is more or less the variety of projects I was covering at Nissan. And uh, then, uh, you know, uh, about uh, eight months ago, I joined FTI Consulting as a managing director covering the uh, advanced mobility or e-mobility practice. And I'm really glad that there was a really good fit for my, you know, knowledge and expertise in the industry. And I could actually apply it and help other clients and other firms to actually accelerate uh, transition to electric mobility. So that's in a nutshell, uh, my career in the the past uh, 10 years. Wow, so so that 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 risk you took and that move has really sent you
0: on a on a bit of a trajectory. Then, really, that's um, I'm, I'm sure we could probably do a podcast around some of the career moves you've made. I think there's probably some some very different environments you have had to navigate there.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, you're right. But I think uh, in this particular episode, we decided to focus more <laughs> on let's say electric mobility, and I would be more than happy uh, to tell my stories and uh, share my views on it definitely. So, um, and, and, you know, any fun facts that that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I know. I saw that question uh, coming from you and I was like scratching my head what, what, what I can actually tell you that, you know, not just a fun fact, but something to learn from. And I actually found my uh, one story and which happened to me uh, when I was actually working on behalf of the Renault Nissan Alliance in Silicon Valley Uh, With Waymo, and obviously this project, uh, you know, autonomous technology, has very high visibility and was supervised directly by uh, co-founders of Google, I mean, uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page. At some point of time, Waymo organized uh, a meeting. Uh, with the you know they they said it's going to be a meeting with one of our let's say co-founders or board members as we didn't know exactly who's going to come, and obviously uh, the reason I'm telling this fun fact or like fun story, uh, it's a basically cultural differences between how uh, traditional companies like 100 years old companies such as Renault and Nissan operate their business and tech companies in Silicon Valley operated their business and you know, all the standards and expectations are different. But uh, those two worlds, they need need to work together uh, at some point of time. And they started doing that. And obviously, we had a group of people, a relatively small group of executives coming from France uh, to to have that meeting in in, uh, Mountain View. And obviously, ties and suits and all shiny shoes and all of that. uh, We're having lunch in a you know, in a shared space, it's not a dedicated, like, uh, room, meeting room or anything like that. And we are expecting someone to come over and join us. Of course, we were, uh, you know, having lunch with the, uh, the executive team of Waymo at that time. And, you know, in one, one, you know one guy coming, um, uh, taking a seat next to me. And, uh, you know, started asking questions in French. And I was like, okay, I do speak French. I can probably answer those. And I realized that's Sergey Brin, but he was dressed like in shorts and T-shirt. And, you know, he was like, it looks like he just finished his uh, workout and he was on the way to something else. And he's like, yeah, uh, l- let me join you. And no one on the executive team from the automotive group actually Recognize him. So they, they kept talking to the rest of the Waymo team and they didn't realize they had a Sergey Brin in front of them. It's like, uh, of course I recognize him. I live in the Bay Area. And it's like, and I tried it. I mean, uh, I tried Russian, obviously, right? <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> and the rest of the meeting, uh, I, I was actually practically talking to Sergey in Russian in front of the, the rest of the team. And uh, probably half the meeting through the, the rest of the automotive group realized that it was Sergey. Probably someone whispered into their ears, like that's the guy you need to spend some time with. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. But that was really interesting to hear directly from such a visionary guy from from the global leader um, of you know a tech company. His views on on the technology, on the market, and that was really, you know, one of the moments I would probably remember. And maybe I hope it's maybe not my last meeting with uh, Sergey <laughs> and, the, and the group, but that was really interesting to see uh, how he behaved. Uh, you know, uh, he was very wel- welcoming and nice, and you know, and friendly. But the the, the cultural thing, the cultural difference, was very very obvious.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? I'm sure there's other people in that room will use that story as a fun fact as well, the time that they didn't recognize Sergey Brin. Um, and it is interesting, isn't it, how you do now have two very, very different types of organizations, or even probably even more than two, uh, now looking to collaborate for for the greater good around electrification more generally. And yeah, integrating those two worlds is is a, is a job in itself.
1: Absolutely. You are absolutely right. So automotive groups uh, used to work in, like in silos. So that's like an empire in its own so you're focused on your um, own content and stuff you work with suppliers with your dealers uh, with your customers but suddenly when it comes to electrification and new technology it's digital but it's also utilities but it's also cities so there are lots of new things in the mix and uh, you know if you try to stick to your uh, you know legacy culture um, that won't work so you every player in this mix needs to adjust uh, slightly not just the uh, car makers but for instance tech companies so it, maybe it's okay uh, to come in a meeting with flip-flops and with your dog uh, which is <laughs> you know that's and, and it's definitely okay here in the bay area but probably you need to manage slightly the way uh you know uh, the way you present yourself and work with uh, more traditional companies too because uh, i mean w- all companies need to make this effort to shorten the distance and and, and make it work eventually. Similarly,
0: yeah. I'm not sure if there's many people in shorts and flip-flops walking around Detroit um in some of the old school auto firms. So yeah, that's um that that will be interesting to see how that world, those worlds come together. Um so so look, we touched on it before um and I, and I I think we'll be doing you a disservice if we don't talk about it. Um the, the content you put out there is is phenomenal and, and I know a lot of that's taken on board for, as, 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 you, as your own brand and interest so um, I'd just love to know quickly kind of where did that start from and why has it been so important for you to to, to share your content as, as you know because everyone is sharing content on LinkedIn in some 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 level and I think you' you've, you've taken it you know uh, two two steps forward
1: so, you know, talk to us about why that was important to you and, and, and maybe why you was, why you were looking to drive that Maybe two or three reasons behind that. Um, at some point of time, I realized that uh, you know, uh, f- throughout my career in automotive, uh, specifically focused on electric uh, mobility, I've gained so much knowledge and expertise in different areas. And I was like, no, I cannot just keep it for myself. I need to start sharing. So that was probably the starting point. But then I quickly realized there are some other advantages of uh, making this effort. So... The first one, you know, let's talk a little bit subjectively. So uh, every time you put together an episode on YouTube or a, a podcast like this, you need to invest time and bring yourself fully up to speed and go from A to Z in the topic you're covering, even though you might have. Uh, quite broad knowledge in this space, but when it comes to very specific items you want to discuss, that's a lot of work and research, and that's a lot of discipline. And I realized it's tough. I mean, when you commit to deliver one episode every week or every two weeks, and you do that consistently, that's a lot of work, and that's a lot of uh, discipline too, but that also keeps you absolutely up to speed on topics that are relevant to your work and to your area of expertise. So it's sort of, you know, people, uh, uh, you know, the way people learn uh, are different. So some people can just listen podcasts. Some people can, uh, you know, attend uh, seminars. In my case, I learn much better than when I do things with my own hands. Analyze materials, rewrite, restructure, come up with my uh, own ideas, uh, brainstorm. I realized it's a, a really strong um, tool for me to learn. That's subjective, but there are some other things, some extensions of uh, of, it, of it too. So when uh, I started the uh, the channel, it was mostly uh, kind of talking heads, uh, and then I realized that well, I can actually invite people um, and I can ask them great questions, and. I don't, don't do that very often, but when I do that, I'm trying to bring really uh, interesting people like uh, with great careers, with great projects. And so this is how you um, enhance your network. Uh, you meet new people and that's uh, also very exciting. So it's a nice excuse. You may, may do some business with them, but you may not. But, uh, you know, approaching someone in your industry uh, in the, your area of in, um, expertise, uh, just like randomly out of the blue, you can do that if you have an excuse. And, and in, in this case, uh, I, I sometimes use, uh, I will be very honest, my YouTube channel as an excuse to reach out to people. And just last week, I published a, a very nice episode, an interview with Alex Gugerman, uh, And he's very famous uh, in, in the United States and globally. Uh, he uh, he has his own channel, E4 Electric, and uh, uh, he's an official ambassador of a Auto Show. And, uh, you know, he's a, a celebrity, I would say. And I realized we have some common connections. And I've never thought that I would just, you know, ping him and say, hey, Alex, uh, you know, why don't we talk? And he was so friendly and open. And we had a very nice conversation and it's gaining views on, on the channel too, but you know uh, it's so good to have someone knowledgeable in front of you. Uh, you know, uh, talk about things you like, and you know, especially when you are talking to people like Alex, uh, they're obviously, uh, you know, you're uh, up to speed from from the first moment of the interview. So it's just you don't need to go deeper and explain. So you know, I would say these days uh, your presence in social media is important. So um and it's also part of your personal brand um and you never know where all of that gonna uh, go i mean it's some you know people change jobs change careers they launch their own companies uh, all that can happen but having some presence and some credibility in social media in your area of expertise i think is becoming more and more important these days no definitely
0: and um and yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, back to our point before about how this is, uh, there's a lot of people navigating new environments, and there's a lot of collaboration that needs to happen for electrification to take off. So, as a catalyst for that for that change, I think it's really important you collaborate on 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 those kind of more authentic topics around knowledge sharing. So. Now it's, it's it's awesome to see. Um as you alluded to earlier as well, you know, we could talk for probably about five hours around EVs or or you definitely could anyway. Um so for this conversation we're gonna focus sort of on EV charging. Um if we just look at a macro level, um what are some of the themes that are driving EV charging specifically in the US? And and you know, I'm thinking maybe environmental,
1: um, some of the policy that's out there, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a great question. And When I I was joining the uh, automotive industry uh, like 10 years ago, uh, traditionally, all the analysts would say, oh, there are four barriers for EV adoptions globally. And, and, And those four barriers we need to overcome and we need to solve for that. And then we... Uh, uh, you we're gonna be all fine so traditionally that was the choice Uh, I mean uh, 10 years ago uh, you could hardly find uh, a suitable electric vehicle for yourself uh, be it an SUV or a passenger car or a pickup truck Uh, these days it's not a problem anymore I think every uh, impactful car maker declared uh, it's going uh, to electrify their lineup so it's uh it, it's coming and obviously even today there are like more options than you would have uh, imagined uh, five or ten years ago the second one was price and that one is not solved yet but there are some good indications obviously these are more expensive than we know that um that's partially because of the battery pack uh that's a huge huge component of the vehicle cost and um, but. Uh, you know, the, the price uh, per kilowatt hour was going down. The price uh, of the vehicle itself hopefully was going down. But what happened in the past couple of years because of the uh, supply chain issues, because of all the problems with deficits of components and raw materials, uh, unfortunately, that stopped. Um, so we, we don't see the the cost of an electric vehicle decreasing. But what also changed in the past few months is actually... Uh, the fuel prices the gasoline prices and they just they are just skyrocketing and uh, uh, at uh, fti we do um analyze total cost of ownership uh, which is the key metric for fleets obviously so when uh, when you calculate the uh, you know the cost of the ownership of the vehicle on the five or 10 year horizon, you obviously can see that electric vehicles have become much more attractive in all, I think, across all segments right now, uh, mostly because of gasoline prices. I mean, it's still a sticker shock when when you look at the price of an electric school bus, for instance. But uh, when you try to do this analysis and you analyze the cost per mile and all of that, so suddenly it becomes really, really exciting. But in passenger world, this is a little bit less of a total cost of ownership uh, so people look at the the price at the msrp and what they need to pay up front but the reality is um, the more people we have driving evs the more excited they are they spread the word about uh, the ev world and and suddenly uh, people start recognizing that you know uh, you just keep going no repairs almost no maintenance uh, the vehicle is always ready for you and um, you know, you don't need to go to a gas station anymore and you don't need to pay uh, between $70 and $100 for to fill up your tank. Uh, so that suddenly becomes very attractive. And the fourth factor, the fourth barrier was charging. And um, what we are seeing right now, by 2030, uh, Bloomberg is forecasting that uh, in the United States, we're going to have 38 million electric vehicles on the roads. And if you, you know, try to calculate, uh, do some math, you will realize that uh, every single day between now and 2030, we will need to have at least 10,000 chargers delivered. 10,000 every single day to meet that target. And I can tell you there are no doubts we're going to hit that target. So the entire industry is uh, prepared uh, for that mission. And we see the curve, um, and it's really going pretty well. So I think on average in the United States, um, uh, in terms of sales, more than 5% of uh, um, vehicle sales are electric these days. And if you talk about California specifically, it's close to 20% now. So it's real. It's happening. But what about charging? And uh, I need to agree, like there will be some count, counter arguments that, you know, a lot of chargers will be uh, coming standard with, uh, with electric vehicles just as a, um, you know, to trickle charge um, as, a, as a regular plug in a, in a trunk. That's perfectly fine in maybe 90 plus percent of the cases you're going to just charge at home. But what about uh, freeway, uh, road trips and fleet charging? So those are substantial issues, too, and we will need millions of chargers in public places, um, you know, in depots to make that happen. And I think this is where we're going to have real problems because um, the truth is you need to have good locations for those chargers, good equipment and good software. And you also need power supply, which is not always the case. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, if, if you want, you know, a charging hub uh, in a location, in an ideal location next to a supermarket, next to a nice coffee bar um, on, a, you know, just uh, one minute away from the main road, uh, then probably in a year or so, we will run into a problem that the, all those, either those places are um, and parking lots are taken or they don't have power. And this is becoming a substantial issue for, uh, you know, charge point operators, utilities and car makers, because this eventually will become a barrier for EV adoption if we are not uh, able to solve for it. So uh, now I believe on the federal level, the government has the right focus. So it's electrification, it's clear, subsidies are uh, available and uh, I'm uh, hearing all the time, this five billion uh, from the federal program. So it's coming. Uh, and states will receive this money and they will start spending. But how they spend, uh, what is the intelligence uh, behind the spending and the investment? Uh, those are the key questions. And, and I think that's going to be the next challenge in the automotive industry, electrification, in the next, uh, I would say, five to 10 years.
0: It's really interesting that, you know, we all, all think technology, but it, it could also, that also real estate <laughs> comes comes into
1: it as well. It's It's, it's a very complicated issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. So you see, uh, we are going in circles because, again, it's, you know, a number of various players with different mindsets and cultures need to uh, join forces to make it work. As you said, real estate, utilities, tech companies, car makers, all of that, governments, you know, departments of transportation, departments of energy, uh, manufacturing uh, facilities, all of that uh, needs to be realigned and synchronized to be able to achieve our ambitious goals. Sounds, sounds simple. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we're, we're going to touch on your, your
0: startup knowledge in a moment, but obviously let, let's stick with that consulting piece that you spoke about. Um, so, you know, how are consulting companies, you know, such as the one you work for at the moment, um, helping corporate organizations navigate EV charging landscapes? Because I'm guessing there's so much there with regards to fleets, etc. that's happening.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that, you know, uh, consulting firms in general, they have uh, quite uh, a bit of a talent and uh, various types of skill sets that you can pull together and come up with this solution for your client. In our case, when I joined FTI, I realized FTI has a very solid data analytics team and uh, I chose for myself that uh, that to be part of my go to market strategy. And, uh, you know, the products we are having right now is basically uh, charging infrastructure planning. What is the best location for your charging station? And, you, and, and what will be the best location for your charging station in five years from now, in 10 years from now? Sounds simple, uh, but uh, actually you need to work with big data, uh, by, uh, you know, analyzing trips, analyzing uh, areas of interest, analyzing uh, competition, analyzing all the census data. Um, you know, telecom data, electric vehicle data, playing with all of that, putting that on a map and looking into the future, running all types of forecasts. So I think this is where, uh, you know, real estate is critical. Um, You you make these decisions once and you stick to them. So if you decide to build a charging station right here on this intersection um, and without having that deep knowledge of the uh, of the evolution of the uh, mobility needs uh, into the future, uh, then basically you're stuck with this decision because it's so lengthy and, and expensive, especially when it comes to DC fast charging, uh, You know, upgrading your interconnection, all the cabling, all the trenching, all the ex- very expensive hardware. You do all of that work. And if eventually you realized uh, that the location was maybe 500 meters off, then that's practically it. It's over. And uh, I think uh, this is uh, what I personally like doing at FTI uh, focusing on data analytics and help drive this type of decisions. And we go, you know, all the way from Uh, you know mobility needs and and current trips to forecasting that into the future and giving this type of tools to our clients to better decide how they can do that but also we uh, do lots of simulations for electric vehicles trailers uh, trucks and buses Um, so we run uh, you know sophisticated uh, software algorithms to uh, build uh, regression models uh, based on historical data and and, uh, play with different parameters to uh, predict uh, your state of charge over a course of a you know your daily run and and, and basically decide what's the best location what's the best uh, uh what's the optimal battery pack size and what's the type of vehicle you need to choose so this is the type of work we do but uh, obviously when you work for a global consultancy firm uh you have different resources to tap into so we have experts uh, coming directly from utilities um you know car makers such as I am uh, you, you know, all types of industries and, uh, and and we can put together a team to help you actually achieve your goals, like starting from uh, business plans for manufacturing lines up to, uh, you know, selling or buying companies, doing carve outs and things like that. So that's that's the beauty, um, uh, you know, accessing talent aclo- across the globe. and uh being able to put a a team quickly together a knowledgeable pe- uh, team uh, uh, you know with real expertise and this is what i'm really enjoying doing right now
0: and and um, let's zoom in on the the startup side of the of the marketplace um you know what are some of the tailwinds and then headwinds that you you sort of see the CEOs in the startup world are facing when it comes to ev charging because we're seeing a lot of different organizations, a lot of you know, organizations popping up, a lot of funding coming into the space. But I'm guessing that's not without its pros and pros and also its challenges.
1: Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely true. And uh, uh, I would say I don't have an executive role. I don't have a C-level role at the startup. So I'm a chairman. And that was the deal when I joined uh, FTI Consulting. So just to draw a very <laughs> clear line between my full-time uh, job at FTI and my ability to oversee and support a growing startup in this space. But obviously, uh, when it comes to uh, tailwinds, uh, a lot is happening. So. Um, m- many companies uh, with uh, charging expertise stepped into this business five years ago, 10 years ago, but there was no market back then. I mean, the market was really in, in the very early infancy phase. But right now, the market is picking up and uh, you know, which is drawing a lot of attention to the market. So obviously, all the subsidies and VC funding, um, all of that is available. Uh, then the question is, what are unique features? Uh, what what what's what is so unique about your company? You're bringing to the market. Uh, how you are different from the rest of the world and why you can be successful. And part of it is technology. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you you need to be creative and come up with some exciting features about your um, you know technology, but also. Um, ability to execute, ability to deliver, ability to move the needle, ability to strike um, important partnerships. And uh, uh, what's happening today, a lot of companies who are not thinking about electrification even uh, a year ago, uh, and you rightly said, even real estate companies, operators of parking lots, uh, I don't know uh, companies building uh, roads and tollways, all of that uh, suddenly becomes uh, a mobility topic an electric mobility topic and obviously there are lots of companies trying to do something in this space who is going to be successful is a, is a big um, question mark but uh, i think there is room for many players uh there is you know there is a, a challenge which needs to be solved and i think there are you know the more people the more companies the more startups we have in this space to be able to address those challenges the the, the better for uh for the society for the industry
0: Um, And um, I think as we come to a close, I think probably my last two questions, um, the first one is around, you know, if you're, we talked about the collaboration between tech utilities and and all the different areas, automotive in in the industry. If we were looking at specifically vehicle to grid, um, V2G work, what's maybe one or two of the main challenges that these utilities companies and startups are trying to solve specifically?
1: Oh, that's an excellent question, Ben. I mean, um, V2G has been a buzzword for quite a while. My first project in V2G was in 2015 in Denmark, and Denmark is an excellent case. Uh, You don't have uh, too many utilities. Uh, you work, uh, you strike a deal, and you're able to uh, to deliver um, a very sophisticated service, which is called frequency regulation. So, uh, how the V2G li- uh, looks like in in the United States is a different story. I think it's mostly demand response, where you need to d- discharge it during peak hours. It's less sophisticated, but the problem is. Uh, regulation. The probably the problem is also the number of utilities and players you need to deal with uh, to cover the United States, and that's just the way it is. You know, uh, y- you want to be present in Italy, you work with NL. Uh, in Spain, you work uh, with Iberdrolo. and Desa. In, in in France, uh, it's probably EDF. In in the UK, it's National Grid. In, in in the united states is probably another 200 companies you need to deal with and 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 be able to convince them that this v2g is the right thing run pilot projects uh, change the regulation change the rules and make it happen in general i think there are no doubts v2g is the future uh it is uh, complicated today uh there are challenges with regulation with utilities but also with the hardware and software um you know uh, as of today it, it's You don't have uh, that many options uh, or choices when it comes to bi-directional hardware. I mean, chargers, DC chargers, which can charge and discharge and be reliable and stable and fully in, integrated with uh, you know, a, a software platform and also uh, electric vehicles. So all of that, connecting all of those dots will be the next challenge, but I have no doubts this will happen. It just will take uh, some time. And, um, and my
0: last question, um, I was going to ask you in the next three to five years, what excites you more, m- the most? But that's probably, that's probably too far in the future for EVs. So what, what what's exciting you most at the moment <laughs> that, that could happen in the next three to five years?
1: Oh, yeah, g- good question again. And, uh, and uh, uh, when I was working on autonomous drive technology, so-called robotaxes, that was the big thing. And uh, I realized that um, all robotaxes actually need to be electric. Because robotaxis taxis, they're running around the clock. So if you don't have a driver, you know, you don't need to have uh, uh, brakes. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, it's just like you can probably have it uh, up and running for 15, 18 hours per day, putting a lot of uh, miles in, 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 into these vehicles. So they must be electric. So if we want to reduce CO2 emissions, they must be electric. And what we're seeing here uh, in California specifically, a few market leaders such as Waymo and Cruise are... Uh, are fully focusing on electric which is uh, for me the next step for true electrification and so we saw uh, at the end at the end of june cruise launched paid driverless services in san francisco it's a huge milestone and i'm i'm carefully following them and watching what's uh, going to happen next but Um, You know, what Waymo has been doing in Arizona in the past few years was very impressive, but bringing this technology to a a very complicated, um, in terms of traffic, uh, San Francisco is a new benchmark, is a new milestone. So if that becomes a success, that's going to be huge. I mean, that's going to change the way we move, the way we live, actually. And that's very exciting. Uh, Also, uh, if you saw the uh last uh, report from Tesla it looks like they're really focusing on robo taxis now I mean this story from Elon Musk was all over the place for the past few years and uh we've heard good stories about new version of that, the full self-driving software uh but it's not autonomous yet but it looks like uh, there is a secret plan which is not a secret anymore uh, and maybe we're gonna see uh you know robo taxis from Tesla so all of that is super exciting. All of that is uh, going to be the big impact, actually. So I think it's uh, it's more than just electrification. It's actually uh, changing our lives. So if you don't need a driver, if you don't need to own a car, all of that is a is a very important change.
0: Well, that is, uh, I think, a very exciting place to leave it, Michael. Thank you very much for your time. This has been really informative and. Yeah, I appreciate each of those questions can be a podcast. So I hopefully we've given our listeners a good download of the exciting things that are happening in the market. And I'm looking forward to a follow up with you soon. And then everyone should check out Michael's uh, YouTube channel,
1: which we'll, we'll put a little link on the bottom as well. Excellent. Thank you, Ben, for having me today. My
0: pleasure. Thank you for listening to Conversation in Cleantech, brought to you by Brightsmith. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like and leave a review every time you do so it helps others find the show for more information around how brightsmith can help you build a sustainable future through identifying attracting retaining diverse talent head over to brightsmithgroup.com join us next time for more conversations in clean tech.